0: Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church Podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your your grace, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this morning to... Hear your word, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to, uh, to believe, give us minds to understand. Thank you for these verses that you have inspired your servant John to write. Thank you for this entire book. Thank you for the, the book of John, the Bible. Thank you, God, that you have helped me and your people to grow so much throughout this book and throughout the, the time that you have given us, Lord, to walk through these verses. We pray that our growth continues, that our love for you continues, that our passion for you is more inflamed, Lord. We pray, God, that you would help us to not just hear, but to obey. Lord, I decrease that you may increase, become less that you can become more. Pray that you move me out of the way this morning, that your people would not hear me or see me. They would hear you and see you. Speak to us this morning through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning and uh, welcome on this Lord's Day. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. John 13, verses 31 through 38 When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so I now say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, just as I have loved you. So you are also to love one another. By this people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I, lay, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is God's word. Let those who have ears to hear, hear the word of God. You may be seated this morning. Judas has just gone out into Jerusalem, into the Jerusalem night, possessed by Satan, he is on his way to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is now with the, the faithful eleven. Those who are his own. Those sheep whom he has chosen. The going out of the betrayer, Judas, seems to signify that the time of Christ' life on this earth was all but up. Verse 31, when Judas had gone out, he, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him the time for Jesus Christ to be glorified was at hand Jesus wanted his disciples to know what was about to take place was going to be painfully shocking to them it was going to be difficult for them to understand but ultimately it was going to be the apex of God's glory Ultimately, the cross was going to be the apex of God's glory. It was going to be the apex of the humility of the Son of God, who took the shame and the sin of the world upon his shoulders. And yet it was also to be the apex of the glory of God as he gained for himself and for the Father glory that is due to the triune God alone. The disciples knew that something was about to change in their relationship to Jesus. They had left everything so that they could follow this man. And they had followed him for three years. And all of a sudden, things were never going to be the same. Jesus recognized their sadness and with gentle, loving care of a father says to them, verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. As Jesus prepares his disciples for their short uh, departure, or for their short separation, he gives them a new command. Verse 34, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Jesus gives his disciples an old command with a new dimension. An old command with a, a new perfect example, unlike anyone had ever seen before, the Lord Jesus Christ. Love one another just as I have loved you, or love one another just as Christ has shown how he loves people. How has Christ loved? We learned last week that he loved selflessly. Christ was not loving his disciples in order to see what he could get from them. He loved sacrificially. Christ loved them and was willing to give himself to them, to the uttermost. He was willing to lay down his life for them. Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loved them understandingly. Jesus did not love his own disciples with his eyes closed. Love is not blind, as we said last week. Love has its eyes wide open. Love knows exactly who you are and yet loves you in spite of who you're not. Jesus loved them forgivingly. We said last time that a love that has not learned the joy of forgiveness will soon shrivel up and die. Did not Christ call his own to repent? Sure. And it is Christ who called us to repent who has forgiven us of our sins. And if Christ has forgiven us of such great sins, then who are we to withhold forgiveness from one another? Amen. Amen. Jesus said in verse 35 By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. So, this command to love one another is huge. By this command of us obeying, or by us obeying this command to love one another, we become examples to the world. The command to love is to be practiced in our families. It is to be practiced in our marriages. And it is most readily seen, though, as we gather each week for corporate worship in the local church. We are to love one another. It is here that we practice the command to love one another. The command to love is not excluded from the world. We are to love people of the world, but it is prioritized to those who are members of a local church. Amen. Amen. It is through obeying this command, we said last week, that the invisible God is made visible to the unbelieving world. And thus, we become witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ and the local church. As Jesus finished this command, he gives his disciples, there is one person who objects to what Jesus says. As he says, command, or commands, love one another. There is one uh, specific disciple who has to speak up, who can't close his mouth, who can't help but say something. Anybody want to take a guess as to who that might possibly be? Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, surprise, surprise, it is our brother Simon Peter, but Peter, he, he objects To Jesus's statements by asking a question and Simon Peter's question may seem like a simple question, but it's rooted in complete rejection to what Jesus is saying. Verse 36. Lord, where are you going? And I would like you to consider for a a moment that Jesus has just given his disciples a life changing command. Love one another just as I have loved you. He has given his disciples a command in which he is the primary example of that command. Love one another. But the command is not even in question here. When Peter speaks, he cares nothing about the command. Instead, Peter is more concerned with someone, not something. Where are you going? There is only one thing on the mind of Peter. You're leaving. Where are you going? Well, we know where Jesus is going. Christ is going to be handed over to sinful men. Christ is going to be betrayed. Christ is going to be wrongfully condemned. Christ is going to the cross. And he is going to his death. He is going to rise again. He is going to ascend to the Father. Christ is going to the place where the depth of his love is most clearly displayed. And where the height of his his glory is most clearly exemplified. That's where he's going. Jesus answered him, listen, where I'm going, you cannot follow now. But you will follow afterward. Jesus said that he is leaving. They could not follow him. But there would be a time when they would be reunited. Jesus Christ meant this to all of his disciples, but more specifically, or most specifically, to Peter. In a literal sense, Peter would follow him. You should ask, how in a literal sense would Peter follow him? After the resurrection, Jesus Christ we find on the beach. Peter is fishing in a boat. Made, uh, Peter is fishing in a boat. He, hen- he ends up meeting Christ on the beach. And he has breakfast with Jesus. Breakfast made by Jesus. How cool would that be? And as he sits with Peter, he informs Peter of the path that he will soon walk. He says to him in John twenty one eighteen. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John, the writer of this epistle, writing as an old man, looks back at his friend and his fellow apostle and gives us information as to historically what happened to Peter. Verse 19, this was, this he said, to show what kind of death he was going to die in order to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Historically, we are told that Peter was crucified under the rule of the Roman emperor Nero. History tells us that Peter did not feel worthy of being crucified in the same manner as Christ and begged his executioners to have him crucified upside down. Peter would surely follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter would walk the same steps that the Lord Jesus walked in. The Lord Jesus was going to walk in in just a few hours. But for now, Peter, you cannot come. This is ultimately your destiny. But for now, you will not follow. Peter is not satisfied with what Jesus says. And in Peter's response, we can take away just three short points this morning. Number one. Peter has a genuine desire to be with Jesus. Peter has a genuine desire to be with Jesus. Number one, verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Or why can I not follow you? Why can I not follow you now? That's right. We must not ignore the passion of Peter, who truly wanted to be with Christ. Jesus tells Peter, you cannot follow me. You will, but not now. Peter loved Jesus so much. That he could not bear the thought of being separated from Jesus for even a moment. He was a man that, although sometimes ignorantly, no doubt was honestly devoted to Jesus Christ and desired more than anything to be where Jesus was. It was Peter who in Matthew chapter 14 saw Jesus walking on the water. In the midst of a storm, wind, waves are crashing against the boat. And in the distance they think, the disciples think, that they see a ghost. They recognize that it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was so fixated on the fact that it was Jesus that he says, out of all of the disciples, Lord, if that is you, command me to come to you on the water. I don't know about you. But if I was in the midst of wind and waves and the boat possibly crashing and going under, possibly the last thing I would be asking for is permission to come and walk on water. But what was on the other side of the water? Or who was on the other side of the water? Jesus was on the other side of the water. I would be, as he soon was, more concerned with wind and wave and possibly drowning. Peter's only concern at that time was... Jesus, and I don't care what winds or waves that are happening around me. All I see is, and all I want is, Jesus. And he commands him to come. And Peter is the second person, and the only person, as far as we can tell, unless you want to count Chris Angel and whatever magic he's doing, that ever walked on water. You've never walked on water, neither have I. But what was the goal of Peter? To get to Jesus. When the Roman soldiers came and captured Jesus in John 18, it was Peter, out of all of the disciples, who took the sword of one of the soldiers and chopped off the ear of Malchus. Why? Because they were attempting to take away the thing in Peter's life, or the person in Peter's life, that mattered to him most. And Peter, out of all of the disciples, was willing to go to war in order to keep and preserve his master. As they all ran... From Jesus. The Bible records that Peter did not necessarily run, but that he followed at a distance in order to keep an eye on Jesus, whom, yes, he would soon rep- rep- uh, deny. After the resurrection, Jesus Christ has rose from the dead. Peter and John are fishing. Peter has gone back to fishing. And while they were fishing, about 100 yards from shore, they hear a man say, Hey, you guys, did you catch anything? No, we haven't caught anything yet. The man yelling on the shore says, Try the right side of the boat. And they captured so many fish that the boat began to sink. Peter recognized immediately, uh, John 21, 7 tells us, that it was Jesus. And, and the Bible tells us that he threw himself into the sea and swam after him. He may have gotten there faster by just staying in the boat. But that didn't matter to Peter at that moment. The only thing that mattered to Peter was Jesus is there. And no matter what I have to get through to get to him, I'll go through it. Brothers and sisters, the question I have for you this morning is simple. Do you want Jesus that badly? Do you seek fellowship with him with such anticipation? With such enthusiasm as Peter. As looking at some of your faces, I could say possibly no. Thank God faces don't tell what's going on in the heart. I pray. Peter's passion was simple. It was singular. It was one directional. To be with Christ. It was the highest goal and the deepest passion in Peter's life. To be with Christ. Is that your goal this morning? If that's your desire this morning, to be with Christ, do you desire Christ that much? Do you hunger for him? Do you long for him? Well, let me ask you a question. What in your life reveals your nods and your amens and your yeses to yourself? Saying yes, you do does not necessarily mean that you do. I could say that I love my wife, but if I don't show my wife that I love her, then I don't love my wife. What in your life right now exemplifies that you want Christ? What in your life right now exemplifies that you are desperately hungry for Christ? And you're only the only way that you are satisfied is in Him. Or do you find satisfaction in other things this morning? Think about your love passions right now. If you were to honestly... Between you and yourself, no one looking at your paper that you're writing down, but between you and yourself, write down the things that you are honestly most passionate about in your life. And no one could see it, it was just you. You being honest, finally, with you. What would be first on your list this morning? What person, what thing, what pleasure would be first on your list this morning? If you could honestly say, this is what I most honestly desire in my life. Some of you who are falling asleep as I say this right now, it can't be Christ. It's right. It's right. Amen. Amen. It can't be. If you haven't read your Bible in, a, in all year, and that was maybe one of your resolutions, could it be Christ? If you've spent even less time in your prayer time than you did last year, could you say honestly that it's Christ? If you only show up on Sundays when we have at least three or four other things going on throughout the week, could you honestly say it's Christ? If you have no love for your neighbor, if you have not even attempted to go one step further and ask a stranger, may I share with you the gospel? Could you honestly say that you are passionate more than anything for Christ? Can you honestly say this morning that there is no greater desire in your life but Christ? Oh, this is not a moment to make you feel guilty of sin. It's a moment to hopefully wake you up so that you can be honest with yourself for once. We lie to ourselves so often about where we think we are and who we think we are. Peter's goal was much like that of the Apostle Paul. Though Paul never walked with Christ like Peter and the other 12, his passion for Christ was just as strong as theirs. He said, and who of us would say this? Philippians 3, 7, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth or greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and being found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that, that, that comes from God depends on faith that I may know him. And the power of His resurrection and may may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you talk like that? Do you pray like that? God, I just want you. I don't even know how to express how much I want you. Maybe do you say that in prayer? I don't know how to express how much I want you, but I want you. I can't even figure out the right words to say as I'm praying to you, but I want you more than anything. Help me, Lord. Give me more of you. Cut off of my life whatever needs to be cut off so that I can know you better. Do you think like that or do you pray like that? Do you even want that? This driving passion was found in Peter. It was found in Paul. It was found in the disciples, in the disciple who loved Jesus, John. And I will tell you what, it's found in all of those who are truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They want Him. And they won't stop until they get Him. And nothing will get in their way. Nothing stops them. Nothing stops them. Me and Johnny were having a talk about this the other day. We were saying, I don't know. I know we're we're nothing special, but do we come from a different world, John, where you have people who are so quick to give up, so quick to back down? What about you? We let let the wind stop us, the waves stop us. We'll let a, a hangnail stop us from pursuing Christ. Those whose hearts have been truly regenerated by God want nothing that has nothing to do with God. They want nothing that has nothing to do with God. They want God. Do you want Christ like that? Do you desire Him in such a way? Do you desire Christ in such a way that you want to experience the same kind of death that He did just so that you can have some kind of way of knowing Him better? Just so that you can have some kind of way of of experiencing, okay, that's what you went through. At least I'm a little bit closer to you because I'm kind of going through what you've gone through. This is what drove Paul. It's what drove Peter. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you desire that. And if you're not a believer this morning, the question I have for you is simple. Have you found anything in your life thus far that you are willing to give up for like that? Have you found anything in your life that is worth that much to you? And if not, I tell you, it's found in Christ I urge you, ask God to give you a greater desire for Him. Ask God to give you greater fellowship with Him. And I pray that it's found to be evident in your lives. And for my unbelieving friend, if you're here this morning, I urge you to forsake the things of this world. They are fleeting. They are passing away. There's only one desire that will truly be fulfilling, and it's found in Christ alone. Secondly, we found a we find a characteristic of impatience look at verse 37 the same verse peter said to him lord why can i not follow you now now we just looked at that verse and we interpreted it in one way concerning how we may think of peter's tone may have been but there is great evidence that suggests the opposite yes he peter wanted to be with christ but there is another tone in this statement and it it Allows us to briefly acknowledge that it reveals another pattern in Peter's life, and it also, if we're honest, reveals another pattern in our lives, and that is a pattern of impatience. Peter almost appears to be whining like a child. Why can I not go with you now? Daddy, Uh, for those of you uh, chocolate factory people, um, Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. But I want one now, Daddy. Um, And this would not be the first time that Peter objected to the purpose of Christ with impatience. Turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. And I just want you to consider this picture. Think about this. And imagine your Peter, if you would have the audacity. Verse 21. From that time, Peter began or Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. He's just giving you the whole plan. I'm going to die. I will come back to life. And then of all people who who rejected or objected to what Jesus just said. Surprise, surprise. Our brother Peter. We love him. Verse 30, verse 23. Listen, look, look at what he does, though. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. is there an exclamation point at the end of yours? He begins to scold Jesus. This shall never happen to you. Have you ever had to pull your child aside and scold them? Uh, some of you who moms who are my mom is one who is a professional at pinching that you have that pro- those professional two fingers that know exactly the pressure points that will cause my eyes to well up in tears. Pulling them aside. And as I'm doing this, some of you who have been pinched. You can already feel that area that's <laughs> still bruised. Right. Yes. He He pulls Jesus aside. Some of you are getting goosebumps right now, aren't you? He pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him as if Christ is a child. Far be it from you. This shall never happen to you. (laughs) Have your kids ever caused you to say something like, who do you think you're talking to? And all of a sudden their eyes change and their face changes because they recognize they're talking to the parent and that they themselves are not the parent. Verse 23, but Peter, but he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And Peter has this pattern of impatience and, and ignorantly responding without knowing all the facts and ultimately the full purpose of what Christ is intending to do. In John 13, Peter is once again displaying this impatience. Jesus responds in a simple Later, Peter, not now. Peter's response is demanding, not later, right now. Having a child myself, I have recently had to explain to him the need for understanding the word patience. Daddy, can I have it right now? Daddy, can you get that for me right now? And he'll ask me at least ten different right nows, which would cause me to go in ten different directions that he wants right now. To which I've had to say, can you be patient? My son, when he gets corrected, takes a deep breath. (sighs) Okay, daddy. What about you? How patient are you with your family? Husbands, how patient are you with your wives? Those of you who are studiers of theology, how patient are you when you're trying to explain theology to your wives? Wives, how patient are you with your husbands? As they are trying to lead and guide you when you think you can do a better job. Children, how patient are we with them? Do we quickly shut them up or do we patiently, lovingly show them what patience looks like even as we tell them to be patient? You know, we can teach them impatience by responding to their impatience with impatience. Fellow members, How patient are you with one another? How bearing with one another are you? How unbelieving, how are you with unbelieving people? How patient are you with them? Are you quick to write them off? Are you quick to shake the dust off of your feet? Do you find yourself from time to time sounding like children who are impatient? In this case, Peter did not know what he was asking for. He wanted to go where Jesus was, but there was only one problem. He had no idea where Jesus was going. John twenty one eighteen says, Jesus tells him, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Peter, you want to go, but you have no idea what you're asking for. Aren't you glad that God does not often answer the, the prayers that you ask? Because he's realizing or he's recognizing that we don't realize what we're asking for. Sometimes the things we want right now, give it to me now, Lord, show it to me now. God is saying you don't even recognize what you're asking for right now. Be careful what you ask for. Be patient. God has a perfect timing and all things will work together for His glory and for your good. Third and finally, the sin of self-reliance, the sin of self-sufficiency, the sin of self-dependency, the sin of self. Verse 37. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter, self-assuredly. I say that again. Peter self-assuredly says, I am willing to lay down my life for you. I'm willing to die for you. Matthew twenty-six thirty-one. Then Jesus said to them, you all will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And there was one person who responds to that statement of Jesus. Anybody want to take a guess as to who it is? Yes. Simon Peter answered. Listen to what he says. Though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. You hear that? Though all fall away, if the entire world were to fall away, not me, Jesus. I'm going to stand by you. Jesus said to him, "Truly, I say to you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times." Peter had a response to that. Even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And guess what? And then all the other disciples said the same thing. His arrogance in in in, in infected the other disciples. What was Peter's problem? It's the same problem that many of us have from time to time. I've had it before, too. Peter was too sure of himself. Peter was too sure of himself. If you want to know how you can be useless in the kingdom of God, be too sure of yourself. What does it mean to be too sure of yourself? It is when the word of God is preached and you believe you either already know it. Or that it does not apply to you. You're too sure of yourself then, brother, sister, friend. Hear that again? It is when the word of God is preached and you came, you know the verses, you already know what I'm going to say. Why did you come then? You already know what I'm going to say. Or if you don't know what I'm going to say, doesn't matter. I got that taken care of anyways. Doesn't apply to me. And every time a word is preached, you are looking at the person that you hope is hearing it so that they get it. Rather than looking into yourself, asking God to make that real in your own life. What is uh, being too sure of yourself? It is being exempt from the word of God. It is arrogance. It is pride. It is a haughty attitude. They would all turn on you, Jesus, but not me. Why not you? What makes you better than anybody else? What makes you greater than anybody else? I don't need to hold the Bible. I've read that five times already. I already know that verse. I know that passage. I can tell you it in three different versions. I can tell you it in Greek if you'd like. You're too sure of yourself. Being too sure of yourself is when you see a brother or sister fall and you have no mercy on them. Being too sure of yourself is when you see a brother or sister fall and you have no pity on them. You have no care for them. Because after all, you would have never done that. You would never have within you the tendency to to fall into the same kind of sin that that brother or sister did. Peter said, I will die for you. And that is how sure of himself that he was. That he could be a sacrifice. I will die for you. He had it upside down. You will not die for Christ. Christ would be the one to die for you. We can overlook the fact that I will die for you, Jesus. Oh, no, you will not be dying for Jesus. Don't be too sure of yourself. The problem was Peter did not know himself. Oh, yes, he knew he was a sinner, but he was overcome with self-assurance. How? It is the same sin that. That often comes with those who are viewed as leaders or those who are actually the leaders. It is a sin that often infects leaders who start to believe their own press. They start to believe that they are something special, something unique. Someone that the world has never seen before. When in reality, that character has been seen before. It was seen when Adam and Eve aspired to be like God through their disobedience. It was seen when Moses struck the rock with his staff rather than speaking to the rock as God had commanded. It was seen when David should have been in battle, but opted to stay behind to steal another man's wife and to put that man to death. As well, in order to cover up his sin and shame. It was seen when Solomon began to entertain the gods of his many wives and concubines that he sinfully indulged himself in. He thought too much of himself. They thought Too much of themselves, They became too self-reliant. This attitude of Peter has been one that's been displayed before. It's thinking too highly of yourself. It's believing that you are above everyone else. Above failing. Above falling. And thus you do and say things that if you had just been saved you would never say and never do. What humility we had when we were first brought to the Lord. All we wanted to know was Christ Him crucified, and how to win our neighbor. And all of a sudden, we get a few stripes, as it were, on our belt. And we believe that we are somehow above reaching our neighbors. Or that we are somehow above caring for those who are in pain. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Brothers and sisters, do not lose your sight of who you are in light of Christ. What does the Bible say? If anyone thinks, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. First Corinthians ten, twelve. Although that Peter did not know his heart, Jesus knew his heart and revealed his heart to him. And Jesus once again reveals that he is all knowing, that he is the all knowing God who knows even the thoughts and intentions of man. You think you will not fall, huh? You think that everyone else will fall and not you, huh? You think so highly of yourself, do you? Rest assured, Peter, let me tell you something about you that maybe you don't even know. Before the alarm clock goes off this night, which is the rooster. The rooster was the alarm clock. Those of you who grew up in Fairfax know that. You will deny me three times. Jesus Christ not only sets the the, the denial in a time frame, but the rooster will also be the bell that rings in the conscience of Peter's mind to reveal to him who he really is and what he really is. Think about that. Who he really is. That alarm that goes off will reveal to Peter who he is and what he is. Think about it. God uses a simple creature to stir the conscience of one who will be used mightily for the kingdom of God. We will return to this point in John chapter 18. 2 Corinthians encourages us. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. This is a, a, great, a great command. There is a great need for self-examination. And which of us would point a, a condemning finger at Peter? Denouncing his actions and saying, I would never do such a thing. How many times have we said... Lord, from this day on, I will never do that again. From this day on, I will walk as you commanded. I will stand for you only to return to the world. And quickly deny either by word or by action that we even know him. How many times have we done that? How many times have we done that and not told anybody that we've done that? Had it not been for the rooster, the Holy Spirit, if you will, crowing in our hearts, we would have been a Judas instead of a Simon Peter. In some of our greatest moments of seeking after God, we are confronted with some of our greatest failures. It is a reminder that we are weak. And that we are constantly in need of Jesus. I told a story the other day in our prayer group about the needless pride that rose up in me about three or four weeks ago at the grocery store of all places. One of the the things I love to do is go grocery shopping. And it usually takes me about 45 minutes because I love to walk down every single aisle and just look at all the things that I want to eat. I usually listen to a sermon while I do this. But this particular day, I decided I was going to listen to some music. I won't tell you which person it was so that you guys don't condemn that individual. He was a believer. He's a Christian. As I decided to put the music on this day, there was a different pep in my step. It was hip-hop. There was a different attitude, air about me. And when I finally got to the checkout line... I was walking so cool and walking so peppy that I coolly and peppily almost bumped into the individual in front of me, to which I was corrected by the checkout person, can you please move your cart back just a few feet? This lady is not able to check out. As the music is going on, I say, what you say? I paused it. Can you please back up? And he had to say to me again, she can't check out. Oh, sure, I said. As I put the headphone back in, the thoughts that went through my head is, who do you think you are correcting me? I might just push her all the way out the line if I want to. Yes, me. And then I might push you after I'm done. These are all the things going through my head. And at that moment, thank God for the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I pause the music, "What am I doing?" And I just in that moment, that individual, the checkout person doesn't know I'm tripping. The person who I almost bumped into doesn't know that I'm tripping. It's just between me and the Holy Spirit as He is correcting me of my pride and my arrogance, of back up, not just physically, but spiritually. take a step back and consider who you are. And how you are behaving at this particular moment. And you will go to this grocery store all the time. Do you really want this? Do you really want to be known as the guy who pushes people around with the grocery cart? Thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I had to repent at that moment. It was a moment of sobriety. It was a moment of remembering that you and I. Maybe However you want to say it, but I know, especially for me, I am so desperately in need of God, the Holy Spirit, doing work in my heart and in my mind to separate and sanctify me from the flesh that wars against me. To help me to display his merciful love and his kindness to the world so that we, I, can be an effective witness to the unbelieving world. What does the Bible say in that very next verse? Verse 38, or actually chapter 14 Verse one, I'll just read this because I know John's going to preach this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For for Jesus to look at these sheep who would soon deny and run away from him and say to them these comforting words. Is there a kinder shepherd? Is there a more loving and gracious God? Is this not a great display of once again His amazing grace? What is that grace? It is the grace that commanded His creation to love Him To obey Him and to worship Him And yet we, His creation, rebelled against Him We turned our hearts from Him And chose to worship created things Rather than the Creator who was to to be forever praised We were lost in sin We were lost in darkness Unwilling, unable to come to God And yet God graciously lovingly, kindly sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for those whose hearts would be alerted by the Holy Spirit, whose hearts would respond to repentance and just like Peter, would turn to Christ, the one who was placed upon the cross for their sins. They would respond and turn to Christ and live. He would be their life. His death would be their death. His resurrection would be their resurrection. They, they who repent and trust in Christ alone take up their cross and follow Christ because they are saved from their sins. This following will, like Peter, it will cost you a cross, but you will reap Christ. The following will cost you a cross. But you will reap Christ, yeah. which is a greater reward. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, there is no greater reward than Christ. Yeah. If you'd like to know more about that, talk to one of the members who are sitting around you. Talk to the elders after church who are wa- waiting and willing to talk to you about the gospel that I just shared with you. Yeah. This morning, we celebrate the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at his table. We celebrate that we have been rescued. That the rooster has crowed in our hearts and that our consciences have been alerted to the sin that was in our lives. And thank God he gave us the faith to repent and to believe in him. This morning, if you have trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, we welcome you to his table. If you are a member in good standing in this local church or in a local church, you are under pastors, you are under elders, you've submitted to that church. We welcome you to his table this morning. We welcome you this morning to celebrate redemption accomplished, redemption applied, and soon redemption consummated. Would you stand with me this morning?